Okay, well, welcome. It's good to be here with you this morning. Glad you're here. I'm glad to be here as well. Um, we are getting towards the end of a nine-week series on who God is, attributes of God, characteristics of God. I love it. I love dwelling in who He is. So next week will be the last, uh, the last in this series. Today, we're looking at the fact that God is generous. God is generous. I've, I've enjoyed sitting with this topic this week. Uh, it's been very rich for me. But I wonder if you know, this is the first time you're thinking of that word, God is generous. What's the first thing that comes to mind when you think of generosity? Generous. Generosity. Maybe you think of a person. Maybe you um, see someone's face in your mind. Maybe something else comes to mind. Uh, I'll give you a definition for the word generous, just to get our hearts and minds in the same place this morning. Generous means giving more than what is deserved. When you give someone more than they deserve, when you give more than is expected, when you give more than is necessary, that's being generous. God is generous. Some of the opposites of being generous would be a person who is stingy. Or a person who is uh, maybe tight-fisted, or you might call someone a tight wad. Or um, you might say, an older word, you might say someone's a miser. So, sometimes the opposites of a word help us to point to the positive that we're trying to talk about, which is the fact that God is generous. So the passage for today that we're looking at is Matthew chapter 20. You can turn there if you want. It's going to take us a minute to get there. But Matthew chapter 20, Matthew chapter 20 is a parable. It's the parable of the workers in the vineyard, and it highlights God's generosity. But in order to get there, you have to understand the context of the passage. And this is definitely one of those passages where when this was originally written, there were not chapter breaks and that kind of thing. So there's a chapter break between 19 and 20. It would be a lot more helpful if there wasn't, because the end of chapter 19 flows into 20 really well. So You may be familiar with the story of the rich young ruler, so that's what's going on in the middle of uh, Matthew chapter 19. The rich young ruler, a rich young man, comes to Jesus, and he says, what must I do to be saved? What what do I have to do, Jesus, to inherit eternal life? And he says, "Um, you need to keep all the commandments. And he says, okay, I've done that. And Jesus is like, all right, sure, sure you have. Uh, but then he says, okay, here's, the, here's what you need to do. You need to sell everything that you have and, and follow me. You need to sell everything that you have and follow me. Jesus says, if you want to follow me, you have to put me first above everything else. That's what he said to him, and that's what he says to all of us today, 2,000 years later, that are trying to follow him as well. You have to put him first above everything else in your life. And then the passage says that the young man went away sad because he felt it was too high of a price to pay. The young man went away sad because he didn't want to part with those things. So following Jesus is about putting him first above everything else in our life. Your reputation? Are you willing to put Jesus before your reputation? Are you willing to put Jesus before your family? Not only the family you were born into, but maybe the family that you've created. Uh, Are you willing to separate from your children if Jesus calls you to? Are you willing to put God before your health? Are you willing to put God before your home? Are you willing to put God before your career? He must increase, I must decrease. I want to see more of him in this world. 
So this is the context as we work our way towards chapter 20. And Peter says, okay, okay, I heard what you said. This is Peter. Peter says, I heard what you said. That guy who just walked away, we haven't done that. We are with you. We have given up everything. We are following you. So what's next? What comes, what comes after that? And so Peter says, if, if you're in chapter 19, in verse 27, Peter says, See, we have left everything and followed you, so what will there be for us? Peter says, What will there be for us who follow Jesus? So a rough translation of that is Peter says, What will we get? What do we get for following you? Okay, that might sound kind of selfish. Uh, but I think it's interesting to note that Jesus doesn't reprimand Peter for asking that question. Because the question that Peter's asking is, how does God reward people who follow him? It's a legitimate question. It's a legitimate question for him. It's a legitimate question for us. How does God reward those who follow him? So if you are looking uh, in your scriptures in chapter 19, Matthew, uh, I'm going to read a couple of verses starting in verse 28. Jesus said to them in response to Peter's question, How does God reward people that follow him? He says, Truly I tell you, in the renewal of all things, when the Son of Man sits on his glorious throne, you who have followed me will also sit on twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel, and everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or children or fields because of my name, you will receive a hundred times more, and you will inherit eternal life. But many who are first will be last, and many who are last will be first. Jesus' answer to Peter is, if you follow me, you will be rewarded. That's what he says to me, and that's what he says to you today. If you follow me in your lifetime, you will be rewarded. Primarily, you'll be rewarded with eternal life. When you die, you're with God in heaven, as opposed to hell, which is separation from God. So eternal life is being connected with God. Eternal death is being separated from God. So primarily, you're rewarded with eternal life with him. Secondarily, you're rewarded specifically according to your actions. You're rewarded specifically according to your actions. Now, the second thing that I just said there is a serious rabbit hole that you can go down, okay? You're actually rewarded for your... The Bible does teach that, and we're not going to go down that rabbit hole today. It's a healthy rabbit hole to go down to study how does God reward us specifically. But I'm going to give you three passages of Scripture for further study if you would like to follow, if you would like to follow that thread. Um, The parable in Matthew 20 is primarily having to do with the gift of eternal life. But there's a couple of passages here that will get you started. Um, Matthew 16.27 talks about the fact that God will reward each of us according to what we have done. Matthew 25, and then this passage in Revelation 22.12, My reward is coming with me to repay each person according to his work. So we see very clearly in the scriptures that we are not saved by our works. We're saved by grace, through faith. It's a gift of God. No one can boast. Salvation does not come by works. But the Bible is clear that there will be different rewards for each of us when we get to heaven. Even if you look at this passage here in Matthew chapter 19, there's a different reward for the disciples than there will be for us. They get to sit on 12 thrones. So um, you will receive a hundred times more and you will inherit eternal life. 
So primarily you inherit eternal life, and then secondarily um, we are rewarded according to our actions. And then in verse 30, as we end chapter 19, Jesus says, okay, many who are first will be last, and many who are last will be first. Many who are first will be last, many who are last will be first. So the truth is, here's the truth, that following Jesus is hard. If you've been following him for any length of time, I'm assuming that you have experienced this. Following Jesus is hard. Honoring him with your life is difficult. Loving your enemies is difficult. Telling the truth is difficult. And we know that this life is short, but sometimes the days just feel really long. And so sometimes we can be tempted to look around at people in the world that seem to be thriving, they seem to be winning, and they're not following Christ. And maybe you start to think, maybe it's not worth it to follow Jesus. I see people not following Christ being esteemed and respected, and I see people who do follow Christ being overlooked and mistreated. First will be last, the last will be first. Jesus says, Jesus says, put these glasses on. Put these goggles on. Put these heavenly goggles on. I want you to look at life the way I look at life. Not all is as it seems. People that are elevated now may very well not be elevated later. And people that are totally overlooked in this lifetime may be greatly elevated in the life to come. So hang in there, Peter. Hang in there when it's tough. You will be rewarded. And then as I was studying it, I kind of felt like I sort of came into like a a silence here. It's like, okay, what's next? And then I hear Jesus saying, how about I tell you a story? Okay, how about I tell you a story? That's great. We sort of descended and I told you some truth. Let's tell you, let's open up the doors. Let's open up the windows. Tell me a story, Jesus. I love it when you tell me stories. So he, he, he tells us this story about what what it's like uh, in terms of how God gives eternal life to those of us. So, if you would stand, stand with me. We're going to read our passage out loud, so keep the blood flowing, keep everybody moving. And uh, we're going to look here at chapter 20, starting in verse 1. For the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire workers for his vineyard. After agreeing with the workers on one denarius, and one denarius is a day's wage, He sent them into his vineyard for the day. Um, When he went out about nine in the morning, morning, he saw others standing in the marketplace doing nothing. And he said to them, you also go into my vineyard and I'll give you whatever's right. So off they went. About noon and about three, he went out again and did the same thing. Then about five, he went and found others standing around and said to them, why have you been standing here all day doing nothing? Well, because no one hired us, uh, they said to him. You also go into my vineyard, he told them. When evening came, the owner of the vineyard told his foreman, call the workers and give them their pay. And I want you to start with the last, and I want you to end with the first. When those who were hired about five, five o'clock came, they each received one denarius, which is an entire day's wage. And then when the first ones came, they assumed... They would get more, but they also received a a denarius each. When they received it, they began to complain to the landowner. These last men put in one hour, and you made them equal to us who bore the burden of the day's work and the burning heat. And he replied to them, 
Friend, I am doing you no wrong. Didn't you agree with me on a denarius? Take what's yours and go. I want to give this last man the same as I gave you. I want to give this last man the same as I gave you. Don't I have the right to do uh, what I want with what is mine? Are you jealous because I'm generous? So the last will be first, and the first will be last. Lord, we do pray that you would add your blessing to the reading of your word, all for your glory. Amen. Thanks. You can have a seat. So the interpretation of this passage is fairly straightforward. The daily wage, the daily wage uh, is eternal life. God is continually asking people to join his kingdom. He's continually asking people to be reconciled with him and have their sins forgiven. And everybody who agrees to that will have the same reward. So this isn't, again, referring to the individual rewards. This is referring to the, the general reward of salvation. And it's given regardless of how much work you've done as a Christian over the course of your life. And all of this highlights the generosity of God. One of the things I noticed about this passage is um, the owner of the vineyard didn't have to pay people the way he did. Why did he pay the guys who only worked one hour first and then the other guys last? It's almost like he wanted them to see it. He wanted this conversation to happen. He wanted, to hi- he wanted his generosity to be highlighted. So what I'd like to do is make one point about God's generosity and then make two points of application for our life. So I'll say one thing about God's generosity and then two points of application for living. The first application is this, is that the generosity of God is unfair. The generosity of God is unfair. That's the first and primary thing we see. My response to that is, I'm glad he is unfair. Maybe that's your response as well. Because if he gave me what I deserved, uh, we'd be in a bad way. If he gave you what you deserved, he'd give, if he was fair, I'm glad that he's not fair. We don't want him to treat us fairly. I'm glad he gives to us when he doesn't owe us anything. I'm glad he pursues us when we don't pursue him. And I'm glad he offers us forgiveness when we are actively walking away from him. But the truth is, following God, again, following God is hard work. I mean, Jesus tells us that uh, my, my yoke is easy, my burden is light, and it is, but it's still work. And the truth is that some of us, I mean, if, if you just took all the Christians in this room, some of us have served God longer and more than others. Even if you just looked at the Christians in this room. And some of us, even from this point forward, have a longer and harder road mapped out for us than others. And Jesus tells us this parable so that when we get to heaven, we won't be surprised and we won't be angered by the fact that he gives salvation generously to all. So some of us, though, some of us, though, have um, an unfairness quotient, a larger unfairness quotient, like in our spirit. Some of you, some of you maybe were that way ever since you were a little kid. That's not fair. That's not fair. That's not fair. And that's not fair. So some of you hear this and you're like, great, but some of you have a real that's not fair button. So I thought maybe I would throw a few more logs on your that's not fair fire just to see if I can make it worse. So Is it fair? Let's talk about some examples. Let's say you have three people. They all live to be 100. 
One person accepts Christ when they're 10, one person accepts Christ when they're 50, and one person accepts Christ when they're 99. Is it fair that all those people get the same gift of eternal life? Um, Let's say you have two Christians, and they're both Christians for 50 years, but one person does a whole lot more work than the other person. Is it fair that they both receive the gift of eternal life? Is it fair that I've accepted Christ in a country where I'm not really persecuted for my faith, and I'm not, I don't really have to worry about being killed for being a Christian, but there could be somebody my exact age in another country who accepted Christ at the same age I did, and his whole life there's been the threat of death and persecution. Is that fair? He's done a lot more than I have. That's not fair. Was it fair for Jewish people to follow God for 2,000 years, and then when Jesus came along, it's just as easy for a Gentile to be saved as it is for a Jewish person. They put in a lot more work than we did. Was it fair that every disciple was martyred except for John? So was it fair that the thief on the cross was only a Christian for like an hour? And the Apostle Paul Jesus said, I will show you how much you must suffer for my name. That's not fair. It's, it's not. But that's who our God is. He gives the same reward of eternal life to all. Verse 15, God can do whatever he wants with his stuff. That's a rough translation. It's an up-the-middle translation. God can do, that's block and tackle definition. God can do whatever he wants with his stuff. And with his stuff, he chooses to be generous. And who are we to argue? God loves to give to people that don't deserve it. God loves to give to people that don't deserve it. And I think as image bearers, as we grow in Christ-likeness, we become like that as well. We love to give to people that don't deserve it. So two implications for living. Let me give you two implications for living. Number one is this. Run the race that's marked out for you, not the race that's marked out for someone else. Run the race that's marked out for you, not the race that's marked out for someone else. So this makes me think of John chapter 21. I think that's the last chapter in the book of John. So Jesus has died, he's resurrected, he's spending some time on earth with his disciples, he's by the Sea of Galilee, and in this story in John 21, he's reconciling with Peter, because Peter denied that he knew Jesus three times. So then while they're eating fish beside the lake, Jesus asks him three times. He says, do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? And then, you know, Peter's just under, under the lights. Peter's just under the lights. All his disciples are there. He's, and then Jesus goes on to tell him like that he was going to die. I mean, we know that Peter's crucified upside down, right, according to Christian tradition. So then Jesus lays that on him. And Peter's like, man, it's getting hot under the spotlight here. Um, he's like, um, uh, what about him? And he points to the apostle John. He's, he gets kind of nervous. Uh, let's stop talking to me. Let's talk about him. And Jesus said this, Jesus said this in John 21, if I want John to remain until I come, what is that to you? You follow me. The race I have marked out for him is not the race I have marked out for you. You need to run the race I have marked out for you. Don't worry about his walk with me. 
Don't worry about her walk with me. You worry about your walk with me. I've been real encouraged by, many of you know Mary Beth in our office. I've been very encouraged. A lot of Mary Beth's mantra in the last two to three years has been, keep your eyes on Jesus. And she has said it out loud. She's written it in emails. Keep your eyes on Jesus. It's almost like Jesus says, don't use your periphery vision. Okay? Don't look to the left. Don't look to the right. Like one of those horses with a heart, the, the cart and carriage or whatever, they've got the blinders on. Jesus, Jesus grabs your face. Maybe he grabs you by the chin because you're doing this all the time. And he says, right here, look at me. What I have for you to do might be harder than what I have for other people to do. What I have for you might be easier than what I have for other people to do, but it doesn't matter. Keep your eyes right here. So run the race that's marked out for you and not the race that's marked out for someone else. And the second one is this. Deal with any anger you might have in your heart towards God about his generosity to others. Deal with any anger you might have in your heart towards God about his generosity to others. This feels like a weird thing for me to bring up as a point. It's probably not something that I would have naturally thought to make as a point. But I'm making it as a point because I think the scriptures make it as a point. It seems that some of us have trouble maybe being angry or resentful at God. In verse 11, in verse 11, chapter 20, it says, They began to complain. And then in verse 15, it says, are you jealous because I'm generous? Are you envious because I'm generous? Do you begrudge my generosity? Uh, And then in the King James Version, it says, is your eye evil because I am good? Is your eye evil because I am good? Does it in any way, does it in any way make you upset that God would offer the same gift of eternal life to someone that hasn't worked as much as you? that God offers the same gift of eternal life to someone who has a deathbed confession as much as he does to someone that's followed him for like 90 years. And so this makes me think of the story of the prodigal son. So the prodigal son, you're probably familiar with this story. Uh, The father has two sons. One son says, come and give me everything that's mine. He leaves, squanders all of his inheritance. And when he comes back, uh, the father accepts him. Father accepts him back, and um, <clears throat> the older brother is angry about it. Look at the older brother; he's angry about it. I, I'm I actually I'm going to read a couple of verses. It's Luke 15, Luke 15, starting in verse 29. <clears throat> the older brother, who's angry at his father because of his father's generosity, says, "Look." I've been slaving away many years for you, and I've never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never gave me a goat so that I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came, like he's not even my brother, he's just this son of yours, um, who has devoured your assets with prostitutes, you slaughtered the fattened calf for him. Your generosity is too much. Your generosity goes too far. And the father says, son... You're always with me, and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and rejoice, because this brother of yours was dead, and he's alive again. He was lost, and he's found. So, this might hit some of you. And if it hits you, then this is for you. If you're angry at God about his 
generosity towards others, you may have lost sight of the suffering of others. You may have lost sight of the suffering of others. And I don't want to pile on, okay? I'm not trying to pile on. I'll tell you this. It's easy to lose perspective when you're tired. So maybe I need to say that three times. It's easy to lose perspective when you're tired. It's easy to stray away from your priorities when you're tired. And sometimes when you serve God, you're tired. This older brother was tired. Some of you may be tired. And so the irony of all ironies is sometimes that we can get, we can get caught up in doing the work that we forget that the work we're called to is the saving of souls, is that people would be reconciled to God, forgiven of their sins, even if it is at the last hour. And so maybe this is an opportunity for you to redirect your focus. And if that does hit you, I want to leave that message at the doorstep of your heart and just allow you to wrestle it out with God in prayer. So I want to close just reminding us today that God is generous, and we're glad that he's generous. He's unfair, and we're glad that he's unfair. And we're going to do our best to keep following him as individuals, and we're going to keep helping each other follow him corporately as we move towards, as this passage says, the renewal of all things. One last point I would make, though, is this. Mainly this morning I've been speaking to people who are in Christ. If you are here this morning and you're not in Christ, if you haven't asked him to forgive you of your sins, I hope that you hear in this message this morning God's heart. I hope that you hear opportunity. I hope that you hear an invitation. I hope that you hear that God will accept you at any point in your life when you reach out to him. And it doesn't have anything to do with what you have to offer him, and it has everything to do with what he wants to offer you. That's the God we serve. So if you would like to talk more about that after our service is over, there will be a few folks at our next step area that could talk with you about that. Or if you're just here this morning and you would like prayer in general, we would love to do that as well. So let me close this in a word of prayer regarding what we've heard this morning. Lord, we... uh, We praise you that you're generous. Your scriptures tell us that you're generous. Help us to be generous with others. Help us to forgive as we've been forgiven. Help us to be patient. Please make your fruit more alive in us, the fruit of the Spirit. Lord, make our heart like yours. Keep us very sensitive to just how hard it is for people that aren't connected to you to live this life on a day-to-day basis, Lord. People are out there right now that are hurting, that are lost, that are trying to figure it out, and they're using every substitute they can think of to try to patch their life together. So we pray that you would draw them to you, help us to be a part of that, and keep our hearts compassionate in the way that your heart's compassionate. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.